despite persecution. And how true that remains for us today to hold fast. Because persecution abounds. The older I'm getting, the more I'm seeing of it. And it seems that even children are beginning to understand there's a persecution afoot, that there's an ethics of this world and there's the ethics of Christ and never the two really can meet. And as they stand in contrast to one another, we're starting to understand that the world is, there's a measure of persecution against us, against a Christ ethic that says, don't, don't sacrifice for the other, but get yours while the getting is good because there's not enough to go around. That is the ethic of the world. And Christ says, no. I have more than enough eternally, perpetually. I'm feeding and filling you. To Eric's point, the new kingdom, we've talked about in Titus, that the, the new kingdom ethic has been pulled back into the old kingdom and pinned down so that while we move and live our, have our being in Christ, though the old kingdom be faltering around us, our anchoring is sure and steady in him who holds us. So what does it mean to go outside and bear the reproach of Jesus? That is, living lives of worship that are ultimately and fundamentally cruciform, which means I give up my life for the life of another. I give up power for the life of another, for the, that other may, the others may have a power. Our persecution, affliction, and desperation are all signs that we are identified with Christ, who reinterprets our, suf our suffering for his glory and our good. We know that, at, as Proverbs 3.12 says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. So something is happening to us. Some refining is happening to us. And life in Christ always includes but is not limited to these things I'm going to talk about. Okay, so here we go. Beginning at chapter 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Now, have you, have you heard in all of Scripture a better summation of the gospel? I mean, I, I'm sure at some point they were like, John 3, 16 or Hebrews 12. Which should we go with, you know? Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people. Now, I've been to the city of Jerusalem. Do you know what's inside the gate? Inside the gate is the temple. Inside the gate is the structure of things that God laid down and handed down to Moses. And the temple is the sacrificial uh, space where absolution is made by God. But what did Jesus tell his disciples? I'll bring it down in three days. I'll bring it down in three days. Your law inside the, inside the gates, you've, you've, you've loved the law so much that you've, you've hated people. And the Messiah came and you rejected him. So he fulfills the law, but where does he fulfill the law? Outside the gate, far from the temple. Uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Jesus lies at the edge of our existence. That is to say, the space where you are no longer comfortable, you're probably closer to Jesus somehow experientially. That, because with God, with whom all things are possible, is moving us out of our comfort zone in order to experience his possibility in our lives and through our lives that others might. So here we go. 12, I think this is meditation. I think every Sunday when we come, we need to train our minds on what the gospel really is. The scripture says that we have the mind of Christ. And I want to tell you that if I have the mind of Christ, it's by faith alone. Because my mind is a mess. It's a fragmented mess. I'm a, a, an artist. Uh, I have an, I'm, I'm wide open intellectually. And, and what it means is that I have a very easy time assimilating abstractions. Talking with me is like living inside a pinball machine. And that's okay because that's who I am. And you got to get a little of me and then you back away. And maybe you, you know what I'm saying? 
I'm like a jelly of the month club in that I keep on giving, but you don't want to have me too regularly. Uh, the gospel is what you have to continue to train your mind on. You have to train your mind on the truth of what it is. It is preached in this verse alone. Resurrection comes by a cross. Come to the city is the call of the, is the, call of the world. Live by the law is the call of the world. Jesus is going outside. Where did John the Baptist prepare the way of the Lord? Outside the city, in the wilderness, away from the institution that's full of love for the law, but absent love for the people. Jews have to leave the love of the law to be captivated by the love of the law fulfiller. And there's an inner Pharisee in all of us that needs to hear that gospel again and again and again, that we do not descend into love of the law over the love of people. There is a city inside the gates that would have nothing of Jesus, so they killed him outside the gates, and even as they did, they enacted. They were, they were pawns in a, in a glorious game of redemption that we enjoy today. So not only do we need to hear the gospel with our mind, we need to receive the gospel with our mind. The question that, that went out, who do you say that I am, is a question that must be answered by you every day. Because every day you wake anew and you have to come face to face with who you say Jesus is. And, you, and listen, don't talk to me about a personal relationship with Jesus. That sounds so side by side. That sounds so sad. I got my little buddy Jesus here. We got a personal relationship. What are you talking about? The cross says that you get put to death and he overwhelms you. Okay, he is your pilot. He is not your like uh, shotgun. He's not like a pocket protector that you just carry along with you. Do you know what I mean? That's not, it's, it's gotta be an overwhelming. It's gotta be a flooding. The consecration of our minds is necessary do you know how much there is to think about that we ought not be thinking about? Do you know? I spend my week thinking about things that I shouldn't be thinking about. I'm not saying that they're necessarily dirty, but they're ultimately fruitless. They're futile. You hang out in the area, you hang out in the land of fear. You're all over in the land of conceptual imagination, which I've already told you it's very easy for me. But ultimately, nothing really materializes that way. And then you're not ready. You're not fortified for reality as it actually comes against you. We have to consecrate our minds. We have to lift them up to the Lord, filthy and confused as they are. They belong to him. Everything that we have belongs to him. So part of, part of uh, feeding our mind on the gospel every Sunday, whether it's Oh to Be Loved by Jesus or whatever song that we're singing or word that we're hearing, it's that we would consecrate our minds, that we have his mind. And your feelings, as we've talked about, must be the caboose. They cannot be the engine. Your feelings matter to God, but your feelings do not always lead you correctly. They're oftentimes tainted by fear and worry and anxiety and all of those things. And ultimately, it's got to be fact, fact, the static fact of God's love for you in Jesus Christ that is the engine of your life. And the feelings are the caboose. And watch, they will go along merrily, merrily down the stream if you first consecrate your mind to Christ. 13, therefore, because of the gospel, therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. He's talking about suffering, folks. He's saying, because Jesus suffered, you can suffer, which means you can be wrong in an argument with your wife. It's okay to admit it, guys. It's okay to admit that your wife might actually be a helpmate, which means you actually need help. Remember that. Her voice matters. But when I think about this, I think about desperation and confession. How often have I gone into a 
church service where everybody's having their personal relationship with Jesus, and I don't feel like having that. I don't feel like celebrating because I'm desperate. My life might be falling apart. The sacrifices of God are a lot of discipline, daily prayer. No, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You, 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 when, J, when John was preparing the way in the wilderness, what did, it, what did the scriptures say everybody was doing? They were openly confessing their sins together. They're one to another. It was like, you did what last night? Yes, last night I did that. Bro, let's get you in that water and baptize as quickly as possible. They were confessing to one another. When you're talking, when you're talking to your friends, man, talk, tell the truth. Please don't hide in Christian community, or guess what? You're not actually living out Christian community. It's a farce. And I'm grateful for this place and the way that it is, it is based on a bedrock of honesty with one another, transparency with one another, and finding our salvation and our salve, the very balm of Gilead, in the grace of God. I mean... That's what we actually are to do, is to be Christians and find our anchoring in him. I'm not looking at my notes at all. I'm just talking to you guys. <laughs> Woo! Contrition. What does Coach Taylor say? Clear hearts, full, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Friday Night Lights. Check it out. By the way, I'm going to be talking about some different songs today and giving little references like I do. I've got a QR code where you can uh, go to the screen and hit that QR code. It'll take you to a Spotify playlist I've made of every song that I've referenced today. So if you wanted to, you know, just have none of them, by the way, none of them are uh, uh, contemporary Christian music. None of them. But, but they're all songs that you, a lot of them that you know that will allow you to see. You know, Jesus shows up in the strangest places. He can show up right in the middle of a song. I was listening to uh, It's a Long Way to the Top If You Want to Rock and Roll by ACDC at the bowling alley with Tony the other day. And in the second verse, uh, Bon Scott, Australian killer singer for ACDC, says, I'm feeling like a Christian's in the first century, fed to lions. And I was like, holy smokes. He's talking about a long way to the top to rock and roll, but he's just reminded me about the love that the martyrs had for Christ, that they would go to their death. I mean, that, can't, that I teased out of an ACDC song. You see this mind? <laughs> so if we're talking about uh, desperation and confession, we've got to be talking about contrition. This is outside the camp in so much as it will never be in vogue to live a life of repentance. No one will ever go, that was so cool how you totally biffed it and then and then uh, apologized in front of the entire group. Unless they're Christians. Unless they share Christ's ethic where we're actually honest about indwelling sin and the power of Christ to forgive us before we sin. Oh, it's always over there where you don't want to go. That's where contrition is. It's always outside the camp. It's always over there. But Tom Waits says, come on up to the house. Come on up to the house. The world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Come on up to the house. And to prepare the way of the Lord is something like coming on up to the house. And you do that through contrition and a broken spirit. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't say, try harder and I'll meet you at the top of the mountain. He said, Broken are the poor, or blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. When you're down, you're actually up. 
So it's all about contrition. Confession, desperation is about honesty. You bring your sorry bag of bones to church week after week and ask that God would bring them to life. And with him who all things are possible, he will and he does. And he again and again and again, meet us back here next week. We'll do the same thing. It's our lifeline, people. And what we're learning is that it actually spills over into our functional world. Honesty is the great equalizer. You want to come in here and confess shoulder to shoulder? What are you doing? Your wife's hearing you say out, out loud that confession. Sure, it's not with a ton of specificity, but we're all, it's a great equalizer because we're all sinned. We all, Romans 12, 2, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Blaise Pascal says, knowing God without knowing our wretchedness leads to pride. Knowing our wretchedness without knowing God leads to despair. Knowing Christ gives the balance. But I have to say, remember, in your desperation, God is not waiting for exactly the right prayer. And he's not waiting for you to get to the third or fourth hour of prayer and bloody kneecaps. He's not, he's not asking for, all he needs is a mustard seed both of your brokenness and both of your faith, and he can rush in restoration. I've always thought that Christ is like a spelunkerer, that he opens my head and descends down within me, and he's got this mighty, mighty flashlight, and he shows me all the ways and all the little spots that I've sought to hold on to and essentially resist him with my inner Heisman. You know, And that's the way it is. I haven't listened. This has been hit, hit very close to home for me. We have a ministry, and we've been doing some things for many, many years, and they had created what is, for me, an affirmation feedback loop. I was doing good things because they made me feel good about myself. Because I have a fragile ego that tends to not depend on God for my righteousness. I, have, I tend to prefer a little personal relationship with Jesus rather than the cross of Christ consuming and overwhelming me. I'm going to skip this next bit. Okay, then it's important to be honest. Blue Oyster Cult says, don't fear the reaper. I want to say to you, if you're not in Christ today, fear the reaper. Fear the reaper because he's having his way with you already. Your life is dead. Fear the reaper. But if you are in Christ, don't fear the reaper. Doesn't make sense. God's absence, Henri Nouwen says, God's absence leads to his presence. If you detect that God is far from you, God is close to you. Do you see? Because you have an, a spirit that yearns, that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And if you feel what feels like God is not in that, that's God in you telling you he's not in that. Do you see? That he's with you, directing you and detecting your life for his presence or absence thereof. Sometimes worship offers us the chance to look at how functionally absent God is from our life. Functionally, and by the way, that's not because of anything he's doing. It's because of all your resistance that has yet to yield to him. 14. What was, the, what, was the, what was 14? I should have somebody up here reading this. 14 is, for we, ha ah, for we have no lasting city. We have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What is the, 
What? Jesus brought the temple down. The lasting city for the Hebrews was Jerusalem. It was where the temple, where the Holy of Holies, where the practice of absolution through all the ritual rites and the high priest, all of that that Jesus said is not necessary any longer. I've, put, I've fulfilled the law. Don't you get it, John? I don't know why I'm doing What am I doing? This is when I get nervous, I start with accents. Reconciliation. Did I even pray? another part of worship is reconciliation, okay? Reconciling things that are far apart. Not only reconciling us who are sinners, a God who is holy through Jesus Christ, but also me who's wild and doesn't have a lot of order in his life and A&M grad Andrew playing the piano who says, man, you've got to settle down and tell me something concretely instead of just dancing around like an idiot. I can't follow what you're... And the Lord is in that too. See, he reconciles people that, have, that are so far apart. That's the, that's the great and grand story of the church itself is that Christ holds all things together and that it's his spirit that is binding our hearts and that we have an experience, a functional experiential knowledge of that when we come to church. What you're saying is that church and being around all of these disparate people with different hurts and different hopes and uh, that, that when they come together, that, is, that, should, that should yield to you knowledge that when you go out and you say, these things are so far apart and I hate it and it's killing me, have hope. Have hope because God is a reconciler and you living in God, he has made you a reconciler. Here's 2 Corinthians 17 through 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, which means you in Christ can take things that are far apart and bring them together and see them together. And this is hope. Jesus lies at the edge of our existence, Bonhoeffer said. The writer of Hebrew tells us it's all rust and dust. We don't have a lasting city. God is not in what you can see and touch and taste. He, that, he may be pointing you on through great music or great food or great drink. He may be pointing you on to himself, but he is not actually those things. He lives in the people that you look around and you see in their eyes. That's where his spirit, that is his dwelling this side of eternity. To know him is to know one another by his spirit, through his spirit. But we look around and we see Bob Marley. Them belly full, but they hungry. A hungry mob is an angry mob. Them belly full, he says. In other words, the people have enough to eat, but they're angry. Because they're not spiritually fed. They're hungry, and a hungry mob is an angry mob. And what we see in our society today is if-then conditionality. If we could just have racial reconciliation, then if we could just get everybody to accept their fill-in-the-blank, then you see the world is continually offering reconciliation out there based upon our doing X, Y, and Z. And all they're trying to do is drag us back into the law inside the city where if then we get things done. But Jesus has gone outside the city to bear the, the sin of the world and fix it all. But people just aren't hip to it yet. And the way that they become hip to it is that we believe it. 
and we trust that he is having his way through us to bring that. You see, in a way, what we're trying to celebrate up here through making mistakes sometimes and not and kind of having, I mean, Matthew's leading worship in a t-shirt. I was thinking, does, I was like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. The point is, is like in, in ways we're like, why would this guy be leading you in worship? I'm the greatest sinner in this room, I guarantee it. I mean, I'm just telling you. But I actually believe that God sits down in the profane, that the sacred finds its home in the profane and increasingly delivers him from himself. Anti-law, anti-deception. In a dying old kingdom, everyone is peddling hope because they don't have it. You ever notice it's always dependent on some call for action. The church in Jerusalem was the same. The Pharisees were saying, this is the temple. This is where it's at. But, oh, if you have leprosy, you got to stay out. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like we get to decide who gets the love of God and who doesn't get the love of God. It's, what are you doing? I mean, this is what Jesus is throwing in. Anyway, uh, uh, Hebrews, he's saying, the law is dead. It can't get you where you want to go. No religion here today is one of my favorite Van Morrison songs. That's why there's no religion, no religion, no religion here today. And I love that song because he's, he's so, it's like an, that's like a new kingdom ethic. Because religion is predicated on the idea that you're far from God. And the, the announcement of Jesus is you're not far from God. So religion is unnecessary. Just enjoy, savor the relationship, sing songs about it, get together, eat, celebrate. But also, don't lose desperation. Don't, don't forget the old you. Somebody said, uh, you know, that, that, I don't know that's, a, that's a rabbit trail. I'm not going to start. Um, hope is within you as a believer, and reconciliation has already come, and his name is Jesus. And that's what we have to be about. And that's healing, right? Reconciliation is healing. It's like something like Jesus, like doing something to us that we actually need done and not promising something that he can't deliver like the world does, but promising it and then delivering. Through him then, through him then, you see it was therefore, now through him then, so was the how it started out. It's always one thing leading to the next, you know. Through him, then, let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Now, entitled this portion, affection. That's something that we really have in, in church. We have affection for one another, and we have songs, Oh, to be loved by Jesus. I mean, we're just thinking about what does it mean to be loved by Jesus? If I'm really loved and loved to the degree that wouldn't we want to just shout out continually if it's really true? But the thing is, is that we don't really want love. We really want to rule. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard the song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears in the last three weeks. It's weird. Even at Brookshire's gas station, it came on. The girls, Maggie was listening to it in a room. I'm like, God, do you want me to hear this song? Why do I keep hearing Everybody Wants to Rule the World? Well, it's because it's actually not so different than a worship song in so much as it's telling you something deeply true that you would do well to meditate on and trust God to be delivered from. <laughs> because you don't really want love, you want to rule. And it is, an, it is to go outside the gates to accept the fact that you need love, which is the doorway to your receptivity to it. 
You've got to understand that your hearts need caring for and you can't get the job done on your own. But don't we try? Don't we try? The truth is more, you know, and I think about why people get married and why even why I got married. I mean, I'm not even the same person, so it's hard to to really imagine. It seems more like a dream 20 years ago when we got married. See how I did that? uh, But... But the idea is that when we sit, like we'll sit with couples in counseling or whatever, and we'll talk about the genesis of their relationship and why they got married. And they oftentimes, especially when they're really young, they're like, we just love each other so much. And all I want to do is say, time out. Here's what you really, it's more like the John, Montgomery, John Michael Montgomery song that says, I love the way you love me. And that's a lot of times why we get married, because we feel so good about the way we're being loved. This feels like a safe bet. And then we get married and we're like, wait, I loved the way you love me, but now I don't really like the way you are hating on me. You know? And, and the point is, is that we're supposed to be exhibitors and displayers, of course, for the affection of God, but I can't find all the, the, the love that I could ever need could come from Megan. It would deplete her. And she, you know, the, the point is, is that there's got to be affection received from God. We have to see the cross as God's hug, unending hug and holding on to us. We got to see the, the efficacy of the cross, the finished work of the cross as God opening up his wing to cover us from anything like condemnation, anything like shame, that he is a protector and provider and sustainer. And then we have to accept that belovedness. Do you realize that we're not coming to worship to say how much we love God? In fact, we should be singing, I love the way you love me. Because that's the only time we actually can intellectually, honestly say, I love the way you love me because his love is fixed. Megan's love is like this. My love to Megan is like this. It's a roller coaster. But Christ's love, God's love through Christ is a static, fixed, unchanging fact. And that's the reason it's anchoring. That's the reason it's sturdy because it doesn't fluctuate. With him, there is no shadow of change. Accept belovedness. And we know, I talk about the heart all the time. James K.A. Smith wrote, you are what you love. Okay? He also posits in that, in that same book that we are not primarily thinking thinkers. We are primarily loving lovers. And that is in line with the reformer Thomas Cranmer who wrote, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. That is to say, the will is bound to the heart because it starts with the heart, for that's the wellspring of life, and that's why Jesus says you've got to guard it. And that's why Ezekiel says, uh, I will come, the prophecy says, I will come and remove your heart of stone, your hard heart, and I will give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is responsive to me. That is, my heart will beat through you. We're talking about God's affection for us, guys, not our affection for God. Please, please get that out of your head that you're coming here to show God how much you love him. That cannot be. You're right back in the old city trying to live up under the law, trying to bear up under the law, and you're still anchored in your own strength. We come here to acknowledge and give praise to God for his love for us and not the other way around. It can't be the other way around. It cannot be. And then 15b, which is part of this, is proclamation. 
That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do you know that it's necessary? My psychology teacher said, when you study, read out loud. Because not only are you reading it, but your ears are hearing your voice say it, and you're getting a little bit of enforcement. That's something like what's called catechesis. Catechesis is to be catechized. They have, uh, there's a sense of, uh, 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 when we say the confession, for instance, I remember a beautiful story from uh, 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 Nathan and Sonny Atkinson. They were in London, and they were at uh, an Anglican church uh, visiting, and they did the 1492 confession that we do, that I believe Thomas Cranmer wrote from the Book of Common Prayer, and his kids knew it. Why did his kids know it? Because this space had, had been about catechesis had been about filling their heart with those words, even when they don't fully understand. You see, those hymns that we sing, those hymns are about catechesis. We are training our mind on theology, and we are training our heart to respond to theology. It's something like a posture. It's a posture of that God loves us as we are. You know, you, you don't love your body. Can I say that? You don't love your body, but God does love your body. And I don't mean that like he likes your curves. I'm not talking about that. What I mean is he loves you as you are, right? I've noticed a lot, especially I get in their mid-40s, got this, you know. And the thing is, is like I fight with myself. And I'm like, I don't really like my body. And I look in the mirror and I'm like, you know. And I know that that's what, that's the way people feel. You have this sort of augmented like there's me and then there's my body. And the body's over there and I'm not liking it. But I really like me. But I don't, and I, I don't know why I'm in all of this except to say that if you live that kind of bifurcated life where you're like struggling against you or yourself or whatever, there's, that's like, there's not really peace there. But I want to say to you, what you do with your body informs your mind. Megan was talking about what her propensity to always be cleaning around the house. Or I've heard that there's a power in rearranging your closet because what you do with your body affects your mind and heart and being. When I rearrange my room, it helps me think and put things in their proper space and all of that. I say all of that to say that God gives us a space where we engage our body, whether that's whatever that is, you know, or this, or just a little hip shake. Or, I mean, it's like God cares about our whole being, our whole person. And that's part of, that's part of proclamation too. What you do with your, you know, it's like we stand. We don't really bow too much in this, in this room, but uh, we, we open our throats to articulate, to, to uh, sing out, to phonate the, the music. And there's this, this sense of education, of catechesis. And then there's a sense of evangelism and proclamation. Did you know that evangelism, that is the carrying of the gospel to evangel, uh, is not uh, only for those, uh, those people that don't have God. You have to evangelize to one another, right? When you open up your throats to confess, when you sing how great thou art and your wife hears it or your buddy across the room hears it, you are engaging in evangelism, that he is worthy to be praised and that others see that you are in, engaging in that. That's a part of what's actually happening. And can I tell you that uh, uh, it is a, a joy to watch my children watch you worship, to, to have my kids say, now, who are the Van Dykes again? Oh, yeah, the, yeah, they're part of the body, too. And they also are in line with, with the Christ ethic that you and mom care about. And, and that, that 
it, that is uh, catechizing to them because they're, they're, they're learning an ecclesiology. They're understanding what the church is that we actually come together to. Am I way over? Are you, anybody, are you guys with me mostly? Just give me a head nod. or it's a, You're good? Okay. I, I'm, I'm really getting close, I think. Uh, but we're loving to see this. They see you. I always feel like somebody. They're watching you. Somebody's watching you in church. I'm not saying it should make you nervous, but I'm saying what we do, this is family business. That we lift our hearts, and by lifting our hearts, we help others to lift their hearts. We do this in community here. It's vulnerable to sing. Remember uh, when Saul was afflicted and he had to come in, and uh, David had to come in and play music for him? I always think of myself, and sometimes it's like, you know, you kind of come into a room, and maybe it's not that cold, not, not that warm, and you, I'm going to play some songs for you. It's, it's vulnerable to sing. It's vulnerable to sing. Maybe you don't feel like you, maybe your parents told you you couldn't sing well. I always hate to hear that. I mean, truly, it's true that some people just don't sing well. But, you know, it's, it's like people should sing. It doesn't matter. It's emblematic of what we actually bring to God. We bring to God. Sometimes we bring to God our crappy voices. I mean, and he loves us. He doesn't care. He wants us to bring it to him however, however we can. It's an overflow. We talk about the coffee garden. We want worship to overflow in this space because it can't be, it can't be contained. Open up your heart. I think about Superman. Open up your heart, not to be the, you know, the, the savior of the world, but to show who the savior of the world is by making yourself vulnerable, by offering up yourself to him. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the rock, solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So, as we close, I want to say I have some, some parting thoughts to uh, whatever this has been for you. Everybody's like, are you preaching? I'm not really sure. It's preaching, teaching. Eh. I'm just telling you what seems to be true to me. And I think scripturally, I see, it seems to be uh, playing out uh, who Jesus is. And I want you to hear this. Who Jesus is cannot be separated from what he did. That may seem like a funny distinction, but it's one of the reasons why I said worship is a life in Christ, and I didn't say worship is a life in Jesus. Because Jesus was a man, and Christ is the king. Jesus lived and died, and Christ lives forever, and we live in him. And he can't be separated from what he did. In other words, he is the manifestation of God's love. How do you know? Because as he said, greater love hath no man than he who would lay down his life for his brother. And even as he's laying down his life for his brother, having to say, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because he's become the solution to the human condition, the solution to our predicament. He's freed us from condemnation and he's answered the question, does God love me? Finally. Finally. God's revelation in Christ is that he loves us because that's what he does. God, three in one, he is love. We are now his or theirs. Uh, and, and nothing can change that. No matter your circumstances, hurt, joy, desperation, or confusion, there's a song for that. And when we sing on Sundays, they're not just meant to meet a need then, but to 
pack you with truth that they can continue to, that God would continue to meet your needs as you trust him. There's a couple of applications here. Filled with his spirit, lives of worshipers are characterized by what I call, you are where you are. These are all R's for those of you who really like first letter to be the same as you take a list. That's a very churchy thing to do. So I went ahead and did it. So something like when we, with regard to meditation, we come to church to rethink our thinking. Rethink our thinking. Your mind is continually being polluted with false hopes, with deceptive tracks to peace, with lies about what the good life actually looks like and with spun-up imaginations about how you could escape suffering. Rethink your thinking. Number two, recognize our need. This was the desperation celebration, or excuse me, desperation confession port. We need to recognize, recognize that you have a great need but where your need exists, his grace abounds. Third, we need to remember through the gospel. That is, come back together and remember. Hook back. It's like a Big Hero 6. Remember all the little, little uh, ball, you know, they all come back together to make. That's what the church is. We're all coming back together to be one. We are one in his spirit. We are one in his love. You know that song? Return, then four, returning, this is the affection piece, return to the lover of your soul. Returning to the lover of our souls. There are a lot of false lovers in this world. And you, despite your best efforts and holiest attempts, are bound to, be, to, ha- to, to leave the God you love and you're prone to wonder. And you know why? It's because those false lovers are extremely alluring. And you haven't recognized your need, so you're more vulnerable to their allurement than than you realize. Five, realize what's eternal. What lasts forever? You have no lasting city, but we have eternity within Jesus Christ. So if you try to make your home here, you're going to find yourself homeless. But if, you, but if you allow Christ to make his home here, you'll have, etern- you'll have eternally a home, you know. And then sixth, and finally, rejoicing in the worth of him who shapes your life. I don't know why, but when I think of worship, I think of worth and shape. I feel like I heard Keller talk about that, and I don't know if it's totally right, but it sounds like worth shape worship. It's sort of, they sound, the worth of which shapes your life. Jesus's worth shapes your life. If you acknowledge that you need him to be who he is, and he knows your need and has become that. This is, these are, this is a proper construct for us to understand or stand under him as we lift our hearts, voices, minds, bodies, lives, sins, good and bad works. We lift it all to him as an offering And all that we have, we offer to him who drew us in by allowing himself to be drawn out. Outside the camp in that final act of worship. That final act of worship 
that says, you know, it's not really like Michael J. Fox, but what he basically did was he brought it all to us and he was going, you're not ready for it yet. But your kids will be. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. But the point is, is that, you know, you're not ready for this yet, but I do it in spite of your unreadiness. I'm dying to make you a people who would appreciate what I'm doing. And that's all we're doing is appreciating who he is for the rest of our lives. And he loves us. And we can live there. We can worship there. Worship is life in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we know that worship is more than a song, but not less than a song. And we thank you that you have made your son's life. This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. I mean, this is, our, this is it, Lord. We have a song. We have a story. And you have pulled us into it. And you have made our hearts full. And you have given our lives nuance. And you have given us the spirit to understand the ways that we need you still. And you've given us your spirit to confirm within us that we have you, to help make sense of your word, to help give our lives purpose, and to help us to love one another as you've loved us, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this life in your son. And we ask that you would cause these doubting worshipers to continue to glorify you and to be quick to repent when we do not. We pray all these things, trust all these things, know all of these things in the name of your spirit and the power of your son. In Christ's name we pray, amen.